See, God's threads of providence run so far and so wide. There are times when things occur, times when we cross paths with someone and we wonder, is that coincidence or is it providence? And we wonder, has God got something for me to do? Sometimes we can't know for sure. We need to have the mindset that Mordecai had and say, you know, maybe I've been placed in this situation for such a time as this to reach somebody for the Lord. It could be that God has been drawing his providential threads together, just like they did in the story of Esther. It could be that you're the person, and this is the place and the time. Welcome to the weekly podcast of Independent Methodist Church in Macon, Mississippi. It is our hope that this message will encourage you, strengthen your faith, and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. The title of our message this morning is, Is it Providence or Coincidence? Question. Do you believe that God is at work in your life right now? Do you believe that God is at work in your life right now? How do you know? Sometimes the hand of God is easily spotted. Those times where maybe we've got a friend or a loved one for whom we've prayed earnestly. They're ill and they get better. Maybe we have a broken relationship that's mended. Those are the times that we can see clearly the providential hand of God moving. But then there are those times where it's difficult to see His hand move. Those times where our prayers don't seem to be getting answered. Those times where we feel lonely or discouraged. We begin to feel that maybe, just maybe, God's not worried about me too much. He's not listening to me. He's forgotten me. Another question. Is God's faithfulness sporadic? Is His faithfulness sporadic? Or is it fairly constant like the the ebb and flow of the tides? I would suggest to you that His influence over our life is continuous. It's ongoing. Even when we don't feel His presence, He's there guiding us and leading us. And His plan is unfolding the way He would have it to unfold. In fact, we're reminded in Psalm 121 and verse 4, that the Lord who watches over us never sleeps nor slumbers. And we're all familiar with Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, I think we probably would all agree that sometimes some things happen that are just pure coincidence though. There's times that things may not necessarily be orchestrated by God. We have a flat tire on the way to work or We eat a bad bit of cheese that's been left out too long at Christmas. We end up with a tummy ache for a few days. There are times where Satan is responsible for bad things. You remember Job. Satan interfered and God allowed him to, but Satan orchestrated all of what happened to Job. There's times where the bad things that happen to us are a result of an evil man's decisions. You think about a drunk driver causing a wreck. Causing somebody to get hurt. And then good things happen to wicked from time to time. The good things, the wicked experience some good times. Uh, 
Psalm, psalmist in Psalm 73 talks about this. He said his feet almost slipped because he was jealous and envious of the wicked. And he said they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens and they're not plagued by human ills. So we have to be careful because our circumstances sometimes may not necessarily be the hand of God. We have to be careful. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 11 says this, The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Time and chance happens to us all. What we have to do is we have to ask God to show us whether it's His providence or whether it's pure coincidence. Because so often He leads us with an invisible hand. And His leading is so inconspicuous that we're unaware of His presence. This morning we're going to look at the book of Esther. This book covers a period of time in Israel's history when they had been exiled. You remember God had warned them through the prophets to turn from idols and quit, quit your wicked ways, but they didn't listen. And He warned them. And He kept warning them. And finally they were taken into exile into Babylon. And then in 538 B.C., the Persians conquered the Babylonians. And Cyrus the Great made the decree that let the Jews that wanted to go back home. But not everybody did. So many chose to stay there in Persia. And so this book of Esther is taking place, what's happened in this book is taking place about 50 years after that first group has been allowed to go home. And they've rebuilt the temple. They've reestablished worship. It covers that period of time. We look through the eyes of faith. We don't see... God's name mentioned, but if we look through the eyes of faith in this book, we can see His fingerprints all over this story. His providence is all over the story found in Esther. We're going to take a summary approach to the book this morning. I encourage you to read the whole book this week when you have time. It's just ten chapters and some of them are very short. But it's an amazing story. Even though God's name is not mentioned anywhere in here, there's very little religious activity at all going on in the book. But you can see God's fingerprints on it, on the whole thing as he's working it out. And what we're going to do this morning, we're going to read chapter 4, which is 17 verses. And then we're going to look at the three main characters in the story. And we're going to see how God's threads of providence are woven together over time. As they intersect with these three main characters. And God makes everything work out together in his timing. To fulfill his promise to his people. And make everything work out according to his divine plan. Now let's read together Esther chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. God's word says. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done. He tore his clothes. Put on sackcloth and ashes. And went out into the city. Wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate. Because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. 
Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and to explain to her, and he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family's father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Let's pray. Father, help us to see your hand of providence in this story this morning and help us to apply it to our lives as we think about how you're leading us and guiding us in this new year. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So there's three main characters in this story. We want to look at them a little bit this morning and then we're going to look at how those providential threads were pulled and woven together by God to accomplish his plan first character in this story is a man named Mordecai. We're introduced to him at first in chapter 2, if you want to flip back to chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 5, we're introduced to Mordecai. It says, There was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish. We learn some things about Mordecai in that one verse. We learn he was from the tribe of Benjamin. We learn that his grandfather was named Shimei. His great-grandfather was named Kish. Now who else do we know in the Bible that's related to Kish? King Saul. Mordecai is a relative of the family of Saul. Now when you think about Mordecai, I want you to think about this one word. Love. Think about love for your fellow man. He had been rearing his orphaned cousin, Esther. We see that in verse 7. It tells he cared for her just like a father. Esther had 
been born, her father and mother had passed, and it says Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This is verse 7 of chapter 2. This girl was also known as Esther. He had been rearing her just like a father. He had taken care of her. He was a father he didn't have to be because he loved her and he loved her father and mother and that family. And then when Esther was taken into the harem of the king to be considered as one of the possibilities for the new queen, we're told that Mordecai walked back and forth outside the courtyard every day, concerned for her, checking on her, worried about her, worried about her well-being. Then in chapter 2, later on, we find out that Mordecai finds out about a plot to kill the king. And he tells Esther, who tells the king, gives Mordecai the credit for it. Passes that info along. And then look at the last verse of chapter 2. It says, And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were hanged on a gallows. All this was recorded in the book of the annals of the presence of the king. I pay special attention to that verse and remember that. We're going to circle back around to that in a minute. We're going to circle back around to the fact that he was related to Saul in just a minute as well. As the providential threads are woven together. Our second person in this story is Esther. We're introduced to her in chapter 2 as well. When you think of Esther, I want you to think about obedience and a willingness to lay down one's life for her family and for her people. We already mentioned that she was an orphan, had been taken in and raised by Mordecai. And in verse 7 of chapter 2, we're told that she was lovely in form and features. One of the translations of the Bible says that she had a lovely figure and was beautiful. And she was chosen as one of the young women to come to the citadel there in Susa to be considered as one of the potential candidates for the new queen. She had been requested by Mordecai to not disclose her nationality. And she had not done that. She had been told by him, don't do that. He forbid her to do it, and she didn't do it. Even though she wasn't in his care anymore, she was still obeying him. She was loyal to him. She respected his authority. Wouldn't it be good if young people did that today when they get out of the household? But she was obedient. She showed a willingness to, to yield to authority when she was given the chance to go to the king. The, the king's eunuch told her what she needed to do. She didn't add anything to it. She, she just agreed with him. She submitted to his authority. God had gifted her with good looks. He had gifted her with a heart of obedience and submission. And he had granted her favor with everybody that she met. We're told that in verse 15 of chapter 2. Esther won favor of everyone who saw her. And I can't help but think of others in the Bible that gained favor when they encountered other people. We think about Joseph. We think about Daniel. 
People that God placed in certain situations and he granted them favor with those around them to accomplish his will. God had this young girl, Esther, a young virgin in Susa at the time that she needed to be there when the king was searching for a new queen. The third character in our story is that of old Haman. When you think of Haman, I want you to think of two words. Pride and hatred. Pride and hatred. We learned some things in chapter 3 there about Haman. It says, after these events, this is chapter 3, verse 1, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. Says he was an Agagite, descended from Agag, a descendant of the Amalekites, if you look that up. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. He was pointed, appointed to this high position, and everybody bowed down to him except one person, Mordecai. Mordecai the Jew. And when it was pointed out to him that Mordecai didn't bow down, he didn't just hate Mordecai, he hated the entire Jewish race and he sought to annihilate the whole race and he went to the king and he got the king to agree with him to annihilate them they cast lots to decide when it would happen and they sent out the decree all over the provinces on this certain day of this certain month all the Jews would be killed when the month was decided and the day was decided we read in chapter 4 earlier we kind of picked up after this decree had been sent out. And Mordecai was wailing and ripping his clothes and crying in sackcloth. Because Haman had this hateful plot planned. And then we learn that Esther decides to come up. We're told there in chapter 4, Mordecai says, maybe you're in the position you're in for such a time as this. To help get your people out of this. So she decides to honor Haman and the king with a banquet. And this just fuels Haman's pride that much more. But every time he'd leave the king's house, he'd see old Mordecai there. Mordecai wouldn't bow. Just enraged him and made him hate the Jews that much more. He goes home and tells his wife what's going on. And she says, well, won't y'all build a pole and you can hang him on it. So that's what he did. And then we see the weaving together of God's providential threads. Esther's got this banquet plan. She's going to disclose that she's a Jew and ask for mercy for her life and for her people. Haman's built this 75 foot pole to hang Mordecai on. We see God start bringing together all those threads, pulling them together, tightening them. Remember back in chapter 2 when Mordecai blew the whistle on the assassination and I told you remember that verse where they wrote it down in the king's book? In the first verse of chapter 6, it says that night the king could not sleep so he ordered the book of the chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. Now if you can't sleep a good way to get back to sleep is try to read or have history read to you. That'll put you to sleep for a lot of us. It just so happened that 
Haman was outside in the court waiting to ask the king if he could put Mordecai on that pole. Go ahead and put him to death. And the king decides when he hears this, he realized they had not done anything for Mordecai to honor him. He said, what has been done for him? And they said, nothing. And he asked, who's out in the court? There's old Haman. He said, bring him in. Haman comes in all proud thinking, all right, he's going to honor me. He says, what should I do for the one that the king delights to honor? And Haman thinks, oh, he's going he's to do me right. So he puffs it up. He says, you need to give him a royal robe to wear and a royal steed to ride on and have someone lead him around town and proclaim, look what the Lord does to those he wants to delight in. And he says all this and the king says, go do that for Mordecai. Now you can imagine Haman's blood pressure shot through the roof. After he gets it done, he gets to go home with shame and tell his wife and his friends what had happened. And they said, oh, they're in for you now, buddy. It's over for you. Just about that time, the king's units come and take him back to that second banquet where Esther would reveal to him that she was a Jew and beg for mercy for her Jews and beg for mercy for her life as well. And in chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, she says, Grant me my life and spare my people. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. And he says, the king says, who's doing this? She said, that old hateful Jew, hater, Haman. The adversary of the Jews, my enemy. And then Haman is taken as a twist of fate and hang on that very pole that he set up for Mordecai. The king gives Esther the estate of Haman. Esther appoints Mordecai to be over that estate. A new decree is issued where the Jews can fight back and they can kill anyone who's trying to harm them. And on the appointed day, the Jews do fight back and thousands are killed, including the ten sons of Haman, the survivors of the Amalekites. The threads of God's providence reach back very far and wide, you see. Remember, Mordecai was a member of the royal family of Saul. And Haman was an Agagite. Saul was commanded by God back in 1 Samuel 15 to completely destroy the Amalekites. He said, don't leave anybody alive, man, woman, child, or beast. But Saul didn't do that. Saul killed everybody except Agag, the king. And he kept a few of the best sheep and, and cattle. And because of that, because Agag had not been killed, it's very likely that Haman would not have been alive in 5th century Persia to cause all this trouble. Remember, we're told in chapter 2 that Mordecai is a relative of, of Kish, his grandfather is a man named Shimei. If you go back to 2 Samuel 16, there's a man named Shimei that pelts David with rocks and hails curses at him as they're marching into town. And it suggested to David, why don't you kill that man? Put him, put him out of his misery. Shut him up. 
David says, no, we're going to let him go on. It's very likely had David not shown Shimei grace back then, then Mordecai wouldn't be alive in 5th century Persia to raise Esther and to help in the process of saving the Jewish people. But those threads go back even further than that. Genesis 25. There's a lady who's pregnant with twins. Her name is Rebecca. The baby's jostled in her womb. And God said in Genesis 25, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from you will be separated. Two nations. Two manner of people. Jacob and Esau. Jacob, the ancestor of Benjamin, and Kish, and Mordecai, and Esther, and Esau, the ancestor of Amalek, and Agag, and Haman. These two groups of people, two manners of thinking. One group that God loved and one group that God hated. And we see those threads have been woven from way back in Genesis 25. He had the right people in the right place at the right time to have things work out according to His will. And God's providence is still at work today in the lives of His people. And if you and I are His, He's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for my life. He puts the right people in the right places at the right time. To make his providence work out. Back in the 1930s when Stalin was the leader of Russia. In the late 30s he decreed that all the Bibles would be confiscated. And all Christians would be confiscated. And they were sent to the work camps. Many of them died there because they were enemies of the state. After communism fell. Soon after that a Christian missionary group went to this little town. They were going to hand out Bibles. But they couldn't get the Bibles shipped to them from Moscow quick enough. Rumor got around that there was a warehouse full of Bibles from the 1930s. So they prayed about it and they, somebody got the courage to go and ask one of the officials, Is, are the Bibles in this warehouse? Yes, they are. So the next day they came with a big truck and a handful of young Russian men to load them. God had made a way get them the Bibles that they needed from way back in the 1930s one of the men one of the men was a young college student we don't know his name but he was there just to get a paycheck he was an agnostic they looked around and they didn't see him helping load and they found him in the warehouse he thought he would go and steal one of the Bibles for himself and the Bible he picked up to steal when he opened the front cover had a handwritten signature in it from his grandmother. And he was weeping. God had become real to him. See, God had worked that all out together by his providence. It wasn't coincidence to have that Bible placed there in the 1930s because he had, God could see the future and knew that that man needed Christ. He needed to be reached and that Bible was planted there way back then. See, God's threads of providence run so far and so wide. 
There are times when things occur, times when we cross paths with someone and we wonder, is that coincidence or is it providence? And we wonder, has God got something for me to do? Sometimes we can't know for sure. We need to have the mindset that Mordecai had. And say, you know, maybe I've been placed in this situation for such a time as this. To reach somebody for the Lord. It could be that God has been drawing his providential threads together. Just like they did in the story of Esther. It could be that you're the person. And this is the place and the time. God's plan is going to be accomplished whether we help him or not. We have the opportunity to do it. Obedience makes us available for God. But if we say no, he's going to find somebody else. And we miss the blessing. Our charge, the charge that God has for us this new year, 2022. Be obedient to his word. Be attentive to his leading. And be available for his work. And if you've never trusted Jesus before, can I just tell you this morning, you're hearing this message and it's not coincidence. It's providence. It's God's providence. By divine appointment, He's had you hear this message this morning. And He wants you to trust Him for salvation. Come to Jesus. Repent of your sins and ask Him to be Lord of your life. And He'll do just that. Because that's what He's will is for you. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should have eternal life. And we'll just trust Him for salvation. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that You don't give up on us. We're grateful that even though when we don't do right, Lord, You're still there. Willing to forgive us. Willing to take us by the hand if we'll step out to You in faith. Confess our sins to You. Father, help us to be attentive to your leading this year. Help us to be obedient to your word. And Father, help us to be available to do the work that you've called us to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.